So great to see you. I love to see some returning faces. There were some new people last week, and it's great to see you back. I'm so glad you're here. We just want to welcome you. We're so thankful. Wasn't Easter fun? Man, we had a great time at Easter. Yeah, it was great. We had 575 people here last week between our three services. Yeah, that's awesome. That was more than 100 more than last year. And you know what's really cool? We spent less than 10% of what we spent last year on advertising. So what, what that tells me is you guys are inviting your friends and family. So thank you for that. Let's give, give you a round of applause for doing that. I love it. I'm proud of you guys. And we have some incredible volunteers who put in hours and hours and hours. Um, one of them, uh, I, I mean, I could name people I'd be here all day that helped put in a lot of hours. But Erin Chan worked so hard this week. She took all those photos last week and edited them. Yeah, and you can pick up your photos on the way out. If you took a photo with your family last week, they're waiting at the door somewhere out there. You'll find them. Okay, search, find them, because they're out there. I saw them. Well, it's so good to see you. We are here starting a new series today. Who's excited about our contentment series? Yeah? Okay, good, because I'm really excited. This is something that I need. <laughs> it's not like I'm the pro or I'm the expert. I know everything about contentment. No, no, no. We're seeking God's help with this, because this is something we need God's help with, because we all struggle with discontentment, because that's the world we live in. It is. You know, another exciting thing uh, is that uh, my wife and I and our daughter, we've been here now a year. We've been here a year, and we're really excited about that. That's an exciting thing. And we, we just last month moved into a new home. We were really excited about it. We're, you know, we're more permanent here. It feels so nice to not be renting, and we really liked it. And it was our first time buying a house. Who in here has bought a house before? It's kind of stressful, right? It's kind of stressful and anxious, figuring all these stuff out. Finances, can we handle that? You know, we're looking around trying to figure out all that stuff. And then once we did find the house, we put in the offer, got accepted, everything was great. And then it's almost more stressful, right? It was more stressful because what we did, we thought, oh, should we have gotten that place? Oh, that place, maybe it's a little cheaper. Maybe we should have done that. Or should we have spent a little more and gotten a little bit bigger yard? Yeah, right. Not around here. <laughs> but you know what I'm talking about? It's stressful. It's anxiety-inducing. Uh, it was hard to find contentment during that time, even though we think, oh, once I get the house, then I'll be content. But it wasn't that way. And I remember we had this real candid conversation with our realtor. She was great. And we were just telling her, like, should we have gotten this place? Should we have gotten this place? Oh, what if this opens up? You know, what if there's just there's nothing on the market right now? What if we had waited? She said, you know what? She said, there will always be a better house. And I was like, ooh, because she was totally right. There will always be a better house. And just that idea, that's what causes us a lot of angst, isn't it? There's always something better. There's always something more, something else we can go after. And I think that that's the world we live in. And it's a world that makes us discontent with what we do have, with where we are. So we need to find contentment in a discontent world. You know, I think the discontentment in our world is worse than it ever has been before. Let me just share with you some of the statistics on this. Right now, there are more people taking anxiety and depression medications than ever before. Nearly, in one single year, nearly 50 million Americans will have either a panic attack, phobia, or some other type of anxiety disorder. 
Anxiety disorders in the U.S. are the number one health problem among women and the second among men only to alcohol and drug abuse. The United States, compared to all the rest of the world, is the most anxious nation in the world. One in six Americans are on antidepressants. Nearly 25 million people have been on antidepressants for over two years, which is a 60% increase since 2010. And nearly 15.5 million people have been on antidepressants for over five years. That's a, uh, a number that's doubled since 2010. And it's not just uh, adults, it's really hitting our college students right now. There's a record number of college students who are seeking treatment for depression and anxiety. In one study of 200,000 incoming freshmen, they found that students reported all-time lows in overall mental health and emotional stability. In the spring of 2017, nearly 40% of college students said they had felt so depressed in the prior year that it was difficult for them to function. And 61% of students said that they had felt overwhelming anxiety. Happens to our teenagers, too. Between 2010 and 2015, the depression and suicide rates among teenagers grew by over 30% each. There was one study that found from one generation to the next to the next, depression, suicide rates, anxiety increases by three times per generation. So as one psychologist said that the average child today exhibits the same level of anxiety as the average psychiatric patient in the 1950s. Americans are in greater pain than citizens of other countries and have been growing steadily more miserable for decades. You guys believe that? One of the craziest things, though, is that life has never been better. It hasn't. Life has never been better. People have never made more money, had more expendable income. They've never had bigger houses, had more food, greater education, better health than ever before in history. We have more, and yet we're discontent. We have more, but we're discontent. There was one comedian on a late night show a few years ago who said, Everybody, everything's great, and nobody's happy. Everything's great and nobody's happy. In fact, that there was a book uh, entitled The Progress Paradox, and the subtitle was How Life Gets Better While People Feel Worse. You like the title of that book? That's how it is in our world. That's how it is. So I just want to take a little poll right now. I want you to raise your hand if getting something new makes you happy. Those who didn't raise your hand, you're lying. <laughs> when you get the new car or the new house, that makes you happy, right? You get that new Patagonia jacket. Ooh. It makes you happy, right? You get something new, it makes you happy. And that's the problem, I think. Because we get these little feelings, these reminders, when we get something new and we have more, it makes us happy. But the problem is, is it doesn't last doesn't last. I saw one study that said the best gift you'll ever receive, the longest happiness bump you'll get from it is three months. The best gift. So if you get that car, oh, the best gift, three months. The problem is we get these little things that make us happy very short time, 
And, and what we need is a happiness, a contentment that lasts. And it ain't stuff. It's not. If you look at those statistics, it proves it. Did you know that people in the, the majority world, the, the people in developing countries, what we used to call the third world, those people have five times less levels of anxiety and depression. Even though some of them hardly have anything to eat, live in huts. And what's even sadder is that they move here to the United States and their anxiety levels and depression levels go up to the same levels that we have. So what our world is telling us here in the United States isn't working. It's not. So we need to figure out how can we find contentment in this discontent world. I need it, you need it, we all need it. The more we have, the worse it gets for us. But I think, in fact, I know that we can change that trend. In fact, I'm going to prove today, and I'm going to argue that contentment is possible. You can learn it. And I'm going to teach you the secret today. I, I don't like using that language of the secret, but that's the, the language the Bible uses. The secret of contentment. It says that there is a secret, that, that you can have contentment. And that's what we're going to discover today. So I want to look in Philippians chapter 4. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and jump there with me. We're going to start in verse 10. And you know, for most of this series, we're actually going to be in the same chapter. This is such a good one. So practical, talks about joy, talks about contentment, how we can have it. And I think we'll, we'll jump around a little bit, but, but this is going to be the main thing. And, and what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about the secret. Because there's one principle, one thing that you need to learn today that is going to be really the foundation for everything else we talk about in this series. And if you don't get it today, you're going to be in trouble. Because I'm going to teach you some very practical ways to grow in contentment, to learn it. But unless you have this foundational principle down, it won't work. It'll be worthless. So I really want you to get this secret today that Paul has for us. The Apostle Paul, of course, wrote the letter of Philippians back in the first century, and we can learn so much from it. So we're going to pick up in verse 10 where Paul writes, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. So there's some in here, and you're like, okay, what is he talking about? Well, I just want to give an introduction, because really this section of the letter is a thank you. He's finishing up his letter writing a thank you. But then he throws in this little thing about the, the, how he learned to be content, the secret that he has for us, that is so important that I just wanted to focus on it. So he's really thanking this church for sending him money. That's what they did. He was a missionary. He went and planted churches all around, um, you know, Turkey, what's modern-day Turkey in Greece and, and into Italy. And he was working with all these churches, and they would send him money. And the Philippines were one of the best, um, just like you guys. I know that you guys gave very generously this morning, right? First-timers, you don't have to give. I think that's what James was saying. Man, I love James. Um, so, so he was saying, hey, thanks for giving me. You guys renewed your concern for me. That's what he's saying. He's like, you guys gave money. I am so grateful. I didn't need it, he's saying. And that's the important part. He's like, I didn't need the funds. I figured out, he says, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. No matter what's going on in my life, whether I have a lot of money and a lot of food, a nice place to stay, or whether I don't, he said, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. 
And this is so important that even though it's kind of like a sub-point that Paul just throws in at the end of this letter, it's so important that I think we need to focus on it. And what I want you to learn first is these two little um, points that are assumed in what he's writing, leading us to our big idea today, but we have to clear the air and get them out there. And the first one is that contentment is possible. Contentment is possible. That's what Paul had said. I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. He's saying it is possible. Some of you think, oh, the people that are content are the people who have a certain personality trait, a certain genetic makeup. Those people can be content and happy and at peace. Paul says, no, 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 I learned to be content. It, it's possible. It's possible. A lot of us think, well, well Matt, not in my situation. You see, I'm a parent, and being a parent, man, stress just comes with the territory. I'm going to be anxious. I'm going to get angry. I'm going to have all these issues, and I'm just going to struggle to have that joy, that contentment, that peace. It's not possible for me. But the reality is that it is possible for all of us. So Paul says. So Paul says, it's possible. And one of your uh, homework assignments, you know, if you look in our bulletins, we have these community group prep questions. These are a couple, we have like one, two, three questions that we want you to do to prepare for community group each week. And some of you are going to start that short-term community group this Tuesday night, right? Some of you are, yeah, and some of you are already in one of those community groups. But your homework in that first question is to look up some of the situations that Paul went through. Because he went through some crazy situations. I mean, he was beaten, he was whipped, he was scourged 39 times. That's all that you could be legally whipped in those days. Five times. And then he was shipwrecked three times. Once he was lost at sea for a day and a half. He, he went through some terrible stuff in his life. He was hungry, like he said. I, I've had all sorts of situations. And he's the one who says contentment is possible. I've learned it. In all of those situations. Uh, have any of you been shipwrecked in here? No? I know we've had some bad stuff. We've had some difficult, trying circumstances. We're going to get to that. We're going to get to that. But no matter what, contentment is possible. Here's the second principle that you need to learn that's assumed in this passage, is that contentment is learned. Contentment is learned. It's something that you can acquire. It might take a little while, you might have to work at it, but you can learn contentment. And I say this because some of us do think, well, it's that personality trait. Or you just have, it's for the people that have that moment of epiphany. They're doing yoga. At the Grand Canyon. Oh, and then it just comes to them and they're at peace. Or they have that funeral and there's that moment, oh, it all became clear. And then I was content forever. No, no, it's not something that just happens to you. It's not a, a personality trait. It's not something that just certain people have. No, it's something that each one of us can learn. I, I want to make a big deal about this because some of you don't believe me as I'm saying that. But it's true. You can learn contentment. And there's the principle we're going to learn today that's foundational to that. And then over the next several weeks, we're going to learn five practical ways to grow in it. Because it's not just something that comes to you like that, an epiphany. Oh, you know. We've got to learn it. We've got to work at it. So that's why we're going to give you those five things today. You know, I used to think that contentment and peace was like something for those like really good Christians, those really good spiritual people. Those are the people that got contentment. I remember reading this um, this quote from Mary Slessor, she wrote in her diary, she was a Scottish missionary to 
Africa back in the 1800s, and this is what she wrote. She said, I am not very particular about my bed these days, but as I lay on a few dirty sticks laid across and covered with a litter of dirty corn shells with plenty of rats and insects, three women and an infant three days old alongside, and over a dozen sheep and goats and cows outside, you don't wonder that I slept little, but I had such a comfortable, quiet night in my own heart. I used to read stuff like that and think, man, those are for like the, the super spiritual people, right? The fact is we can all learn to be like this. We can be in a rat-infested, disease-infested area and have contentment. We can have a peace in our heart. When all these things around us in the world are, are bringing anxiety on us, that are causing issues, we can have a contentment. Now, I, I do want to say, you know, it's a little bit beyond me that there are certain things like chemical imbalances that can happen. So you can see someone that can help you, especially if you're having anxiety attacks or huge forms of depression. There are things that can help you. But the goal, and I've talked with people in the medical profession, the goal is always to get you off of those things. Like those are temporary to help you immediately, but we can learn to be content in the long term. And I don't know enough, I'm not a professional enough to say, you know, I know everything about it. I don't. You can convince me, I'm sure, that I don't know everything. But I do know that no matter who we are, contentment is possible and we can learn it. We can learn it. So the Bible teaches us. So that's why we need to learn this foundational principle today of what the secret of contentment is. So learn this, get it in our heads, so that we can grow in contentment. We can grow in contentment. So I want us to learn this lesson, and here it is. Here's our big idea. Paying attention? I want you to write this down. The secret of contentment is that it's not, I'm sorry, that it is about, you guys are listening? I'm just making sure, right? That it's about the source of your strength, not your situation. It's about the source of your strength, not your situation. This is what Paul is going to go on to teach us. So if you look back in our passage in verse 12, Paul said, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your... Con uh, can we jump to 12? Okay, there we go. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. But then this is what he says in verse 13. We have that. In verse 13, he says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. So he's saying, hey, I've had plenty, I've had want, I've been in all these different hard situations, good and bad, and I can do all this through him who gives me strength. So that's why he's saying, and I'm saying too, it's about the source of our strength through him, not about our situation. Through him. And the him that he's talking about is Jesus. This is, uh, if you've been an athlete, this is a lot of athletes' favorite verse. Philippians 4.13. And if you see in some of the old versions, it will say, I can do all things. But the word there in Greek is actually just basically all this. What it's talking about is all this, all the things that he's been talking about. All these situations you go through, good and bad, difficult and awesome, hungry, fed, 
rich, poor, all those situations. He says, you can have contentment through them. You can do all this through him who gives me strength. So you can go ahead and keep writing it on your sneakers if you want. That's cool. It's a great verse. But what it's saying here is that the secret of contentment is that it's about the source of your strength, not your situation. Not your situation. And I think that's so important for us to learn. You know, most people think it's the opposite. That if I change my situation, then I will be happy. And like I said, it's because we get the new thing and then we're happy (laughs) for a very short time. So we think if I get more new things, then I'll be happier longer. But that's not the case. We had a group here um, from Alaska, a couple guys yesterday morning. Some of you guys got to come to that breakfast. It was great. One of the guys is like, when I first moved to Alaska, I got off the plane and I was just blown away by the mountains. It was so beautiful. The most amazing mountains I'd ever seen in my life. And I just stopped and paused. And then he said, and the next year I was picking up some people from the airport and they got off the plane and they were just like, oh my gosh, it's so beautiful, it's so amazing. And he said, hurry up, let's go. Because in a year he'd seen it every day and it had worn off. We think the change in the situation is going to help us and it does temporarily, but not for the long term. It's not the change in your situation that's going to help you. It's the source of of your strength. You know, <clears throat> we, we do think that it's the change in the situation. I, I know what all of us have the thing that we think is going to ultimately make us happy. When you're in school, you're thinking, man, once I get out of school, life's going to be so good. You're in college. Once I get the degree, you get the degree. Once I get in the job, you get in the job. Once I get that dream job, once I get to retirement, right? You get the house. Oh, I just can't wait till I get my own house. You get the house. Oh, I need a bigger house. Oh, I need to remodel the house. We need more shiplap. <laughs> you know, there's always the next thing, isn't there? You, you want that relationship. Oh, I just need one of those romantic relationships. You get in it. Oh, I just need to be married. You get married. Oh, I just need a different spouse. <laughs> I just need to have the kid. Once I have the kid. Oh, once I have another kid. And now we got two. Now we're good. Man, once the kids get in school, it'll be much better. (laughs) Oh, once the kids are out of the house. This is what we do, right? We think once I change the situation, it will fix it. Then it will make it happy. And it does for a short time. But then it lets us down. Because situations wear off. We're human. Situations change, that person changed. That's what happens when you get married to someone. They will change. Here's a little uh, bonus point for you right there. Your spouse will change. So when anybody comes into a divorce thing or counseling with me and they're like, well, they just changed. Like, duh, you changed too. What'd you think? That's what happens. We change, our situation changes, or, or sometimes things leave, Right? We get in that relationship and and then the person leaves or the person dies. When we're relying on situations, things, stuff, people, relationships, when we rely on those things, they will always let us down. It's about the source of your strength. I say that because that's what Paul said. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. I think it's a lot like 
my iPhone. Okay. I, of course, I have the iPhone, and I'm, I've been tempted to get the new one, right? Aren't we all tempted to get the better iPhone? Especially because this battery sucks. <laughs> I've had it two years. You know what I'm talking about, anybody in here? You get it at first, and you're like, this is so great. And then it's like the end of the day, oh, I better charge it. And then like a few months later, it's like halfway through the day, I better charge it. And I was like, this battery has, it doesn't last at all, right? That's kind of what happens with stuff, isn't it? If the source of your strength, the battery that's giving you the power, wears out. We need a better battery. Apple, are you listening? Okay, we need better batteries in these phones. No, but I know it's not going to be uh, the better battery in my phone that's going to do it, right? And, and any of those things that we have are like that phone. And, and what the saddest thing is, is that we're going around and we're saying, okay, we're, we're like moving around. If I just come over here, then I'll have better phone. Over right here, I'll have better reception, right? We're going everywhere. Have you ever done that with your phone, trying to get better reception? We're doing that, but the problem is your battery is dead. You're moving around. You're trying these different situations, going to different things, thinking that will give me contentment. But it doesn't because your battery sucks. We need a different source of strength. We need someone who won't let us down, who will never leave us or forsake us. We need Jesus. It's about the source of our strength. It's about the source of our strength. I heard this um, story from a pastor. Um, he wrote it in, in one of his books. And um, his name was uh, Bill Frey. And Bill, he was actually here in Denver for a while. Um, and Bill talked about how he, growing up in Georgia, when he was about 11, he would always go out and pull up old stumps so that they would have firewood. So he was always looking for the next stump, and that was kind of his chore. He'd go out there, pull the stump out of the ground, chop it up, get some kindling and firewood. He said one day he was out there, and there's just the perfect stump. It was big. It was, it was strong. It was going to be perfect. And he worked on it for hours. Took a crowbar, trying to pry it out of the ground with rope, trying to do everything he could to get this stump out of the ground. Well, after hours, his dad came home. His dad just kind of sat back and watched him. As he's getting more and more frustrated, more and more angry. It's not working, it's not working. And the dad finally says, you know, I know what your problem is. And the son looks up at his dad, and you know, Bill, he said, well, what is it? And the dad says, you're not using all your strength. So Bill gets angrier. He gets frustrated. He, you know, I'm using all my strength. I've been trying for hours. And the dad says, no, no, no. You're not using all your strength. You didn't ask me to help. That's how we are in our life. We try to do it all ourselves. We're trying to figure this all out. But our battery sucks. We don't have enough strength. We don't have enough energy to make it through these things. And we're relying on these situations to give contentment. It's not going to work. But we have someone, our Father in Heaven, who has given us His Son to be inside of us and empower us. That's the problem. We're always looking like outside of ourselves for help. But we should be looking inside to Jesus Christ. And we need Him in our lives if we're going to have contentment for the long haul. It's true, it's not, not a pill, it's not a situation, it's not a person, it's not anything except Jesus Christ inside of you. Anything but Jesus. Now, if you're here and thinking, well, Matt, are you just saying that I need to pretend life is good, that, that all the anxiety will go away because Jesus is with me? No, I'm not. 
especially next week, we're going to talk about that things do suck sometimes. Life is hard. We have bad situations and circumstances. Paul didn't deny it. He said, I've had want. I've been hungry. I've had shipwrecks, he says in 2 Corinthians. They're all hard times. So next week, we're really going to talk about those hard times. We're really going to focus on that next week. So I'm not saying just pretend those don't exist. But what I am saying is that when you have Jesus as your Savior and as the Lord of your life, you can get through those things with contentment. You can have a peace through them, a joy through them. And if you're saying, well, Matt, are you saying that if you're not a Christian, you can't have contentment? Yes, I am. Now, you can find peace for a time. Situation, practices, they will give you peace for a time, but not ultimate contentment. Only Jesus and relying on him will enable you to find this contentment in your life. Max Lucado talked about this in his book. It's a great book called Anxious About Nothing. And he says, quite honestly, I have no words to counter the stress of the atheist or agnostic. What alleviates their anxiety? Yoga? Deep breathing exercises, stress relief candles, seems like going to a joust with a toothpick. Honestly, these things will help a little bit. You know, they're, they're good, they're fine. But they're not going to give you full contentment. Only Jesus can. Because you need a better battery. You need a source of strength that will always be there. Because there will be the time when you get that diagnosis of cancer, where it comes back. But when Jesus is with you, you know that even if I should die from this, I will have eternal life. That can give you peace. When your marriage is really on the rocks and you're struggling and you don't know if you can get it through, but you know that Jesus can help you and empower you again and again to forgive, again and again to try harder. Because you have the power of Christ inside of you. Because I can do all this, you say, through Christ who strengthens me. So I'm going to be point blank about this. If you're not a Christian, I'm sorry. You will not be able to find contentment. And that's why I said all the five practices we're going to learn over the next several weeks are going to be worthless unless you get this first principle down. Unless you learn this foundation. But when you do, there is a joy and there is a contentment. There is a peace that is possible. You've got to learn it. You've got to work at it. But you can have it. Because as we talked about last week, that Jesus died on the cross for us. He suffered so that we could be healed. And this includes our anxiety, includes our depression, all the things that are wearing us down, the burdens we have in our life. Jesus wants to heal us and lift us up through them. He doesn't say it's going to be perfect. He doesn't say everything's going to just be all right. Pretend like it's all good. No, no, no. He says through those hardships, you'll have Jesus in you, you will have his power, the resurrection power living inside of you, and you can make it through with a contentment. Now, this is a secret that I want to learn, that I want to have in my life, and I hope that you do too. I want the next time I go through the difficult situation that I can just rely on this peace, not just in good times, but in bad and that's what Jesus can do for you. I love that Paul said, in plenty or in want. Because really in our country, let's be honest, it's usually plenty. That's the problem why we have anxiety. That's why we have the highest level of anxiety, depression in the world. We have too much. And we want more. Because there's always a better house. There's always something more. There's always something more. But with Jesus, 
that changes. I want to show you this verse in John 4.12. Jesus says that anyone who drinks the water I give them will never be thirsty. In fact, the water I give them will become a spring of water in them. It will flow up into eternal life. What he's saying is that every other thing you drink in life, every other thing that you bring into your life, will let you down. But the water of Jesus is a living water that will spring up into eternal life and be inside of you. So in plenty, when the good things wear off and we see the person that has that thing we want, we know, well, I have an eternal spring inside of me. I have the living water that will satisfy. Or, or when, when we're in want, when we're struggling and, and we feel like we don't have enough. In 2 Corinthians twelve nine, Paul had one of these situations. And he said, and Jesus said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect through weakness. Very gladly, therefore, I will rest in my weakness so that the strength of Christ may dwell in me. He had to live with this thing that he was struggling with. Three times he asked God, help me with this, help me, take it away, take it away, to bury And then Jesus says, no, no, my strength is enough. When you are in want, when you're not where you want to be, it's not the situation you want, Jesus will help you through that. I'll help you through that because his strength is enough. It's about the source of your strength, not your situation. Not your situation. So I hope that you will trust Jesus Christ. So uh, I just want to give an offer. I mean, for the last couple of weeks I've done it, but I'm going to do it again. Some of you kind of come back, you're, you're new here, you haven't been to church in a long time, maybe you never have. And you're saying, I do want Jesus. I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray and accept Christ. Because once he comes into you, now you have the foundation. And we can build on it. We can learn over the next several weeks some of these practices that will help us learn contentment. But I want to give you that opportunity to accept Christ today. But then some of you in here are, are saying, well, Matt, I am a believer, but I don't have contentment. Man, I got some anxiety today. Yeah, I'm struggling, Matt. That's okay. I feel you. I'm there too. But what it is, what we need to learn, is that the problem is, is that we have begun to rely on, for our strength, these situations. We have, because the reality is, we're like toddlers. When you take away their toy, they throw a fit. When we lose that thing that we've been relying on, when it, t- it gets taken away from us, we get angry, we get sad, we, we throw a fit, don't we? And that means that we weren't relying on Jesus as the source of our strength. We all do it. We all do it. But we've got to learn again to rely on Jesus' strength. So what we're going to do today, uh, I'm going to have the band come up. We're going to have that time of prayer. I'm going to give you an opportunity. And then maybe you're here and you're in one of these terrible situations. You're in need. You're in want. You don't have what you want. You're in a terrible situation. I'm going to acknowledge that those are true. I'm going to be in the back and I'm going to be there to pray for you. I'm going to be there and we have some other people from the prayer team, maybe some staff back there. We'll have some people back there. We want to pray with you because right now you're in a difficult situation. And we want to say, how can we uh, get through that? If you want to accept Christ and you want to talk to me about it, I'll be back there as well. Bill will be back there too, right Bill? Um, and we'll get a couple other people. We'll, we'll be back there for you to pray with you. But then all of us in here, we're, uh, the next song we're going to sing is called It Is Well. Now it's a remade version of, of the great classic hymn. It's by Bethel and it's awesome. But in the bridge we will actually sing, sing the chorus from that old hymn written in the 1800s. 
Do you know about the story about this song being written? It's written by a guy named Horatio Spafford. And he was someone who had a lot. He was very wealthy. He was a lawyer. He was an elder in a church, but he was also pretty rich. He had a lot of investment in real estate. And then the great Chicago fire happened, and he lost all his real estate. All his money was gone. And then he sent his family to England for a vacation with some friends, and he had to stay behind because of some business. And on the steamship over the Atlantic, the ship sank. 260, or 226 people were, were died, including his four daughters. Only his wife survived. And she sent him a telegram when she made it to England. Basically said, everyone drowned except me. And he had to go over there to rescue his wife, to get her back. And on the way over, he wrote this hymn. He said, it is well with my soul. I say that because we have anxiety, we have discontentment, we have difficult situations that are so hard. But when we have Jesus as a source of our strength, we can be like Horatio Spafford and say, it is well. We have grief, we have sadness, we have hardship, but through it all, through it all, we have the peace of God. Because Jesus lives inside of us. So would you please bow your heads with me? Would you close your eyes? And if you're here and you want to accept Jesus Christ for the first time, I want you to say this prayer after me. You can say it, say it silently right where you are. Lord God, I need your help. I confess I need you. I confess I'm a sinner. Would you please save me right now? And would you give me peace and eternal life through your son Jesus? Thank you for saving me. Now with everyone's eyes still closed and heads bowed, if you prayed that for the first time to accept Christ, would you please raise your hand? I want to be able to pray for you and encourage you. If there's anyone come see me in the back yeah you can come see me in the back and I'll talk with you I'll pray with you now for all the rest of us Lord God we struggle with things we have things that weigh on our hearts we, we struggle with these things that make us sad that make us disappointed sometimes we have a lot of stuff but it's still not enough we're not happy there's something missing and I pray that you would remind us that you are the source of our strength you are the one that can empower us that can bring us through no matter what is going on and Lord God, right now for the person in a terrible situation that's struggling, I, I pray specifically for them. Lord God, would you lift up their soul right now that they might feel your peace in a profound way. That they would get a glimpse of that contentment that it may begin to grow in their life and become possible and, and something that they can learn. Would you help them to be able to say boldly that it is well with my soul be with all of us so that we might learn contentment. Amen.